Those are just great songs this morning and verses. I <clears throat> didn't know which ones were going to be picked, but um, they just go great with our passage this morning. And I don't know about you, but when when we were looking at Isaiah 53 there, I mean, I just saw all these fulfillment of scriptures in the passage that we're going to look at today. It's just, it's amazing. It's just uh, absolutely amazing. Um, so just a question, have you ever bought something that, um, you know, after you bought it, you, you got back home or something, or maybe a couple weeks later, or maybe when you got the bill, you were like, how am I going to pay for this? You know, you, you just, um, it's kind of like you, you went to Best Buy to get um, some an, an antenna for your television just to get better reception, and you came out of there with a 70-inch new LCD TV. Um, has anyone ever done that? Yeah, that's right. Uh, so anyway, um, my freshman year of college, um, I think there's like all kinds of people that want to prey on like poor college students, right? So I remember my freshman year of college, somehow, I don't know whether it was in a mailer or it might be they had like a booth set up or something, but somehow I got into this thing called Consumers Buying Network. And... Um, it was like $99 a month for, I don't even know how long. You know, I didn't even bother to see what the terms were. Just $99, for $99 a month, you can get things like TVs, stereos, appliances, and furniture for a discount, you know, a huge discount. So one, you're probably thinking like, well, what does the freshman college student even need with all that stuff? But here I was, I found myself in a situation where I, I couldn't afford it. I couldn't afford to even pay $99 a month. And so needless to say, um, if I couldn't afford $99 a month, then obviously I didn't have any money left over to buy any of the things that they had for sale, right? And so, uh, so in that situation, um, the end result is that I never bought one thing from Consumers Buying Network. And uh, you know, after like a year or two, I don't remember how long it was, I tried to get out of it and I couldn't, so I had to get my parents involved. They didn't even know that I had gotten into it in the first place, or they probably would have said, like, that's stupid, don't do that. And uh, so I got them involved, and they somehow were able to plead and beg the people to let, to let me out of this agreement that I could not afford. And so, you know, I think sometimes as Christians, um, we can tend to think the same way about a relationship with God. It's like, in singing the songs this morning, of course, I know what, what I'm going to say, but you guys don't. But I was just, in all those songs, you know, they're, they're talking about um, what salvation means for us, right? Um, we, when, we, when we got saved, we simply just called out to God and believed. We, we just had childlike faith, and we believed what he do, did, and, and we believed in him. But then somehow, it didn't take long after, after that day, that we start thinking, how am I going to pay for this? You know, I mean, how, how can I really, is that really free? H how can that be free? I mean, that my sins are forgiven, that I have eternal life. I surely have to do something for this. You know, how am I, it probably started when you realized, you know, not long after you got saved that um, you were still a sinner, right? And, uh, and then you started committing the same sins you did before you got saved. And, and you might have thought like, 
I've got to do something to get on God's good side now because I'm, I'm still messing up. Well, um, the thing is, when we were saved, it's like God tore up the scorecard between us, okay? Um, you know, when we got saved, the scorecard was like a million five hundred to, to three, you know, and, and God tore up the scorecard between us. And uh, just real quickly, you don't have to turn to it, but I'm just going to read Colossians 2, 13 and 14 even says, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood out against us with his legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. But then we want to start a new card somehow. I mean, I don't know why we just, we want to start a new scorecard. And sometimes even throughout our Christian life, we'll come to a point where we kind of renew our commitment to the Lord and we feel like the scorecard is back to zero, zero, but then we, the point is there is no scorecard. Um, also, I want to share this verse in Galatians 3.3, 3, where Paul was saying the same thing. He says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. And then the next thing he says is, let me ask you only this. So really Paul's saying like, look, I just want to ask you one question, Galatians, just one question. Hear me out. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law? or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? And then in Colossians 2, 6, this is one of my favorite verses. It says, just as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. How, how did we receive Christ? How did we receive Christ Jesus the Lord? We, we, um, we received the gift of salvation by grace through faith. It was just a simple, a simple childlike faith. And um, I'm here to say this morning that no matter how long the game of life lasts, the score will never be in our favor. So God nailed that scorecard to the cross. There is no more store, uh, scorecard. So this morning, if that's you I'm describing, which I think that we've all been there, you know, uh, how can I get back on your good side, God? Um, the passage we're going to look at in John 19 just annihilates any possibility that we can get on God's good side, that we can pay for something, that we have any ability to appease him. Um, so even though this passage is very sobering, you know, talking about Jesus' crucifixion, it's full of hope. And that's what I want us to see this morning. It's full of hope for us. Um, so up to this point, Jesus has endured six phases of a trial, which we talked about last week, that is unjust, and Pilate has ordered an execution. So let's, let's read. We'll stay in John 19. I'll share some other verses, but if you just have your Bibles open in John 19, um, I'm going to start with verse uh, 17 and 18. So they took Jesus... <clears throat> And he went out, bearing his own cross, to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. Um, 
I think what's interesting is uh, in preparing for this, I looked at the um, accounts of the crucifixion from Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And then you have the one in John here. And I think what's interesting about John is that you, you don't see all these things going on. You don't, you don't know that the criminals are, are robbers or something. You don't, you don't uh, see a conversation with the other guys getting crucified. You don't see the sky getting dark. You don't see earthquakes happening. You don't see the veil split in two. Um, you don't see tombs being opened, not, not in John's account. And um, one reason that could be is that, you know, we've talked about it before. John is obsessed with one thing in, in writing his gospel, right? And it's that we um, will see this one thing that Jesus is God and he came for one purpose to bear your sins and my sins on the cross. And anything that distracts from that, he, he just let fall by the wayside. And so that's what I want us to see this morning. Um, you see how John, even in the beginning of his gospel in John 1, uh, when John the Baptist introduces Jesus, he says, what? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's the reason John wrote his gospel. And then you see uh, a little bit later in chapter 3 when uh, John has an encounter with Nicodemus. Um, he's talking to him about eternal life. And what does he say? He says, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. I picture Jesus just saying, this is why I came, Nicodemus. Um, this is the point of why I'm here on earth, that I am going to die so that you may have eternal life. And I think we can see from the rest of the gospel account that Nicodemus got it, right? Nicodemus became a believer. Um, so even in John's account of the crucifixion, John makes a point also uh, that's interesting to point out four times that Jesus fulfilled scripture. We're just going to see two of them today, and then next week it'll be the end of John 19. You'll see two other ones. But, but John made it a point to keep pointing to Christ that he was the fulfillment of scripture. And one of those times today was when the soldiers divided his garments um, that was prophesied in, in Psalm 22. Uh, one of those was when Jesus said, I thirst. That was prophesied in Psalm 69. Um, another one was that none of his bones were broken, which happened to the other guys being crucified that day. And four was that he was pierced with a spear. And you can see actually in John's passage that he kept, in all of these instances, he said, this happened to fulfill scripture. This happened to fulfill scripture. Um, so John is jo not just wanting us to see Jesus's physical suffering, um, but he's wanting us to see that Jesus is the true lamb of God bearing sin for you and me. Um, I shared this verse last week, but this is where Paul, you know, later on in, in um, I think, Corinth yeah, Corinthians said, for our sake, he made him who knew no sin to become sin for our sake, that we might become the righteousness of God. Um, so as we look at these things this morning, um, I just want us to see it very plainly. I want us to get it that um, it was your sin and my sin being born on the cross. Um, our sin of selfishness, our sin of manipulating circumstances with people so that we look better, our sins of lust, um, our sins of whatever, you fill in the blank. 
being born on the cross of Christ, because without this, you and I have no way to pay for this on our own. No way. <clears throat> and so, just like my parents came to my rescue in my debt situation, and um, they got me out of it, um, what Jesus did here is similar, except it's about a million times more weighty than any financial debt situation we might ever find ourselves in, and that's that he erased the debt that we had for our sins, for my sins and the sins of the world for all time. Um, I don't know if any of you guys know this chorus. I was thinking about just reading the words, but I think I'll sing it to you, and maybe we should uh, sing it together sometime. It goes like this. <clears throat> he paid a debt he did not owe, I owed a debt. I could not pay, I needed someone to wash my sins away. And now I sing a brand new song, Amazing Grace. For Jesus paid a debt that I could never pay. Has anyone heard that before? We should... We should sing that little chorus periodically. It's just, it's just full of truths of what we're looking at this morning. So, so as we continue on in John 19, um, we get to this part where um, we're reading about what's going on with the inscription, uh, right? So let me read John 19, 19 through 22. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus, oh yeah, many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. What I see going on here is like, if you remember last week, um, I mentioned how it seemed like the, the Jewish leaders, they kind of boxed Pilate into a corner, right? Um, he was trying so hard to get out of the situation. He realized Jesus had done nothing wrong. And um, he was really trying hard not to do uh, what the Jews were pressing him to do, which was to pronounce a judgment of death on Jesus. And um, so I don't know about you, I, I don't know, if you've ever been in a situation, maybe you're not like me and you want to manipulate things like to your favor a lot, I don't know, but maybe you are. And so you have a plan, you have something that you want to happen, right? And, um, and then all of a sudden something comes up to where like there's a roadblock put in the way like, hey, you don't have enough money to do that or, um, or circumstances change and something happens to where like you can't do it because your kids are sick or something. Well, I don't know about you, but in those situations, I desperately try to manipulate around those roadblocks so I can still get my way, so I can still do that thing that I wanted to do, right? But, um, so I do that a lot, but um, a lot of times, if you've ever found yourself in a situation where you're trying to do that and you try to go down this road, and it ends in a dead end. And then you try to go down this road and it ends in a dead end. And so you end up getting like forced into this path that you really didn't want to take. Um, if you've ever experienced that, I don't know, but my response to that is, is anger. 
<laughs> I'm just like, oh, I've got to be able to make this happen. And I try and I try to make it happen. And, 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 and I just, the circumstances work out to where it's not going to happen. And my response isn't sadness. My response is anger. I'm just like, whoa, why does it have to happen this way? I don't know if, if you've ever been there. But um, so I feel like Pilate was in this similar situation, right? And um, I think that he is not only miffed at the outcome, uh, that he was the one who had to pronounce judgment of death on this innocent man, uh, but that he got boxed into a corner to have to play the most important part in it even. Um, you saw that the Jews said like, hey, Caesar's our king. And you know that Pilate didn't believe this. You know that the Jews hated Caesar. And, um, and yet they, they pull the, the card on him of like, hey, if you don't crucify him, then you know, we're going to tell somebody because uh, you're no friend of Caesar, as if like they were, which, which they weren't. So, so I think Pilate knows that this, this whole, you know, ridiculous thing was about jealousy. And I think he's disgusted with these people. And so when you see what's going on here with the inscription, right, I think this is the one chance that Pilate has to kind of like give a little dig, you know, to the, to the Jewish people here and um, just to get back at them. So what was typical in that day is, is, is when someone was crucified, they would take a plaque and they'd put this inscription on it uh, proclaiming what, what the people did. Like, this man was a murderer. This man was a robber. And they, they probably did that so that people would see this publicly and go like, hmm, I might think twice about robbing or I might think twice about murdering someone because that's going to be my end. Well, so Pilate used this situation of what was going on in that day, and um, instead of writing, this man claimed to be the king of the Jews, he put down, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. So Pilate, instead of like listing a crime, like they would typically do, he uses the inscription to make a declaration, a declaration that he knew the Jews would hate. And, um, and so I, I, just, I just think it's kind of funny here that he says, what I have written, I have written. In other words, I'm not, I'm not going to change it for you clowns, you know, that put me up to this. Um, so I think what's interesting here and uh, what we see in this first part of the passage, and we talked about it, I mean, for weeks now, for a few weeks at least, that God is in control of everything. He is in a situation here where um, God is able to use pagan people to make a true declaration of who he was. And, uh, and what's interesting even more that, you know, you can see from the passage that kind of miffed the Jews was that uh, Jesus was killed on, uh, crucified in a very highly trafficked area. And um, Pilate had this inscription written in the three most common languages of the day. So that pretty much anybody passing by would see Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. And um, so again, just to confirm, God is sovereign. I know we've talked about it uh, up here. We've talked about it in our discussion times. Um, but the reason Jesus was crucified ultimately was because it was the will of the Father not because all these pagan people were controlling the situation. And um, 
Pilate doesn't really believe Jesus is a king, and yet um, God uses him to manipulate the situation in a way that Pilate declared Jesus is king from the cross. So you see God is working through the whole situation. Um, I love Quick Trip. How, how many are with me on that? You know, So at Quick Trip, um, this is, I mean, it probably shouldn't be a daily routine. It's probably more times than I you know, want to admit, but almost a daily routine is I go to Quick Trip and um, I get, grab a cup. <clears throat> I put a little ice in the cup, you know, for burn control. And then I, um, I fill it up with half Vienna roast and then half almond amaretto and then half French vanilla. I don't know if anyone else likes that combination. But then, but then I take a, uh, because really I don't like coffee, so I have to make it taste like candy, okay? <laughs> so... And then, um, and then I, I grab a big straw to stir it up and mix it together. You know, Quick Trip is probably like, hey, we put those little coffee straws out there so that you wouldn't use the expensive big straw. But those little coffee straws just don't do the same job. So, so anyway, um, if I get that in the morning, sometimes that can determine whether I have a good day or a bad day. You guys with me on that? You know, you get... Um, you get what you, that coffee, you're in the habit of it, you know, it just, it just, life is good when that happens. And, um, or maybe you go to work and that thing you don't want to happen of your boss coming to your desk early in the day and saying like, hey, we got this issue. You're like, hey, he stayed away. He's staying away today. So I can just do my work that I plan to do and the way I plan to do it. So in those situations, you know, where, we're kind of like, God is on the throne. You know, this is great. He, he, is, he is king, and he is on the throne. Um, but all of a sudden, you know, if we find ourselves in a situation um, where a quick trip is not around, right, and, um, and you have to go to that other convenience store. I don't know. I, you guys probably are with me on this, but, like, you go to that other convenience store, and you try to get a coffee, and then you're like, where are the lids? You know, like, where are the straws? Like, where are the napkins? Are they trying to save, you know, money on napkins? Um, it's this quick trip has got it down to a science. They're like, this is exactly how a person would do it. The lids are here, the napkins are here, the straws are here. You go to another convenience store, your day is ruined. You know, all of a sudden, God isn't on the throne anymore. You know, you, you get to work, and you had a plan to get certain things done, checked off the list that day, and your boss comes over and throws you a curveball, and it's going to throw off your whole day, you know, and you're not going to get anything checked off of your list. And all of a sudden, God is not on the throne. You know, that, isn't that how we, how we kind of do things? We, we tend to zone off in our lives um, certain zones, and, and in this one, we, we dethrone God when it comes to certain things. Um, you know, we're like, God, you're in control in this zone. But when it comes to this one, like somehow we fail to recognize that God is also in control, you know? So um, on a more serious note, maybe your health is good for a stretch. <clears throat> and you're like, God is good. He's sovereign. But then when we run into a health situation, all of a sudden we're like, where's God? Where's God in this moment? 
You know, that, that happens to all of us. And um, when life tends to get chaotic, we respond with, where are you, God? What's happening here? Don't you see me? And when you look at this situation in John 19, it's very chaotic. You see this back and forth between the Jewish leaders and Pilate. And it just, it's almost like funny that it's even in there in the first place. But it's this just chaotic situation. And what God wants to happen, happens. Pilate makes a declaration from the cross that Jesus is the king of the Jews. And the reason why that's important is because it's important to know that the Jews rejected him as their king. The Jews rejected him as their king. So in all of this, God is right in the middle of it. He's sovereign. He's in control. And um, he doesn't need a godly person to declare who he is. Um, he's able to use these pagans to do his, his will for him. So where, where are you at this morning? Uh, what circumstances are going on in your life? Um, is there a job situation that's unbearable? I, I've been there before. Um, or a health situation that is just seems to be chronic and there's no relief in sight. I, I've been there before on that too. Or, or there's a financial situation that you're, you're burdened with. You maybe find yourself in a debt situation that you're just, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this. I've been there as well. Um, but you know what? Um, what we can see from this passage is that uh, no matter what the powers that be, people in our lives, circumstances that are going on in our life, um, nothing is outside of God's control. Nothing going on in yours and my life is outside of God's control. Um, in fact, uh, Psalm 37:23 says, "The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord." You know, I just do we really walk through life every day believing that my steps are ordered by the Lord, even when the quick trip is not there, even when the boss, even when I have this health situation, even when I find myself in this chaotic financial mess. Um, I guess I put it this way. Um, I said it last week that Jesus was not a victim of circumstances. You know, we're not, we're not victims of circumstances. We're not victims of the people around us. We're not victims of circumstances um, because God's in control. Now, one word of caution um, in this area is that uh, if you're like me, um, when you're thinking, where is God? Is he on the throne? You know, why? what's going on in my life right now? Things are very, very difficult, and they're testing your faith to believe that God is in control of the circumstances. It's at times like these that I have a tendency to want to pull away from people, to want to, to just um, kind of isolate myself, to shrink back, um, because it's a hard time, and I just, I don't know. I mean, it's like, the, the, the enemy wants me to shrink back and pull away from people so I'm isolated on an island. But it's times like these more than ever that we need to lean into the body of Christ to keep being encouraged with the truth. So I don't know where you find yourselves at this morning, but um, please don't follow the path of isolating yourself when you're in these very difficult circumstances because it's, 
at those times more than ever that, that the body of Christ, that we need to be around people to remind each other that God is in control, that God is sovereign. And I think I mentioned this in my, in my discussion group that we were in last week, but like whenever I'm like around Justin, he's got this such keen sense of God's sovereignty, like whatever might be going on in your life, if you need to get a reality check of that, just talk to Justin because he'll be like, God is sovereign. What are you worried about? And it sounds so simple, and yet it's true. It really is. It's true. Um, so that's how we need to live. Um, third, uh, I want us to see that God is a God who sees you and me. Um, it's interesting because I, I remember when I was thinking of this, um, this next section we're going to look at, I was thinking like, isn't there something about God as a God who sees? So I, I, you know, I went back and looked, and so, and there you go. Um, it's one of the names given to God. It's El Roy. Okay, it was when when Hagar was rejected by Sarah, and was like, you know, get get out of here. You know, I don't want you around here. And Hagar goes off into the desert, and she's just completely discouraged, completely depressed, and she cries out to God and says. God, you are El Roy. You know, you are the God who sees me because God um, came to her and, um, and picked her up, gave her encouragement and said, look, go back, go back to Sarah and, um, and just serve her as, as, as her servant. And um, so that's when she says, God, you are El Roy. You're a God who sees me and you're a God who cares for me. Um, so I want us to see that this morning. So let's, let's look here at John 19, 25 through 27. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas. That kind of threw me for a loop for a minute because I'm like, why would someone name their kid Mary and then Mary? But I realized Clopas must have been Mary's brother. You know, it's because... Uh, um, so you got Mary and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus <clears throat> saw his mother, the key word being saw, and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. So, so Jesus is on the cross. He's been up all night. He's been flogged, which is almost getting beaten to death. Um, he's on the cross experiencing blood loss and dehydration. And, um, and yet in this moment, it says he saw his mother and was like, I, I got to take care of mom. You know, I, I'm, I'm almost dead and I need to take care of mom. So... Um, Mary was probably be around maybe in her late 40s at this point. You know, she had Jesus pretty, uh, she was pretty young when she had Jesus. And um, as a widow back in that day, you know, if you didn't have a male figure to take care of you, then you were going to probably be in a desperate situation. And I think what's interesting in this passage, and actually even in the other gospel passages, you don't see anything about Jesus's brothers. Like, where are, where are they? Why are they not here to take care of their mom? And, um, but as you know from, you got John 7, 5, where it says, 
Even Jesus' brothers didn't believe in him. So it's not recorded that any of Jesus' brothers uh, became believers prior to Christ going to the cross. And yet, what's really amazing is that uh, as soon as you get into the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 14, um, all of his brothers were in the upper room. Um, it's like um, what Jesus did, you know, and what happened, and then Mary was involved, and he was raised from the dead. Somehow, then they became believers at that point. So, and then as we know, James, who wrote the book of James, you know, uh, became very influential in the church. So, um, I think what we can glean from this is, um, I know that we all have family members that are unsaved, that we want to see get saved, um, but never stop praying for them. Never stop praying for them. Um, for Jesus, it, it appears to have taken about 20 or 30 years of his faithful witness, you know, um, pray, prayerful witness before his brothers believed in him. And so Jesus hanging on the cross and mindful that he needs to take care of his mom, passes her care to John, one of his closest friends, which, you know, also kind of demonstrates that he wasn't just concerned about her physical well-being, but he was concerned about her spiritual well-being because he knew that John was, was going to take care of her spiritual needs as well. Um, <clears throat> so this just shows us the deity of Christ again, that he's able to take care of his own even at his weakest point. He's a God who sees and he's a God who cares. And what I want us to take away from this morning is that if Jesus in his weakest moment, his weakest moment as a human living in the flesh, um, is that he was able to see and he was able to care for his own, then now that he's in glory, is he, is he not that much more able to, to see and to care for you? Um, but I know that as we struggle and things, we might say, God, I don't know if I'm going to make it emotionally through this day. Do you see? Do you care? Um, whatever the situation might be, God, I'm lonely. I, I need a friend. Do you see me? Do you care about me? Um, might be a situation where you have young children and they're just, they're crying for hours. And you're like, God, do you see me down here? Do you care about me? God, I don't know what I'm going to do for work. I don't know where I'm going to get a job. Do you see me? Do you care about me? And uh, Jesus is telling us from the cross, I see I, and I care. I see that seemingly small thing to me, but huge to you, and I care. And um, it reminds me of the verse in Matthew where Jesus said, if God close the grass of the field, which is here today and gone tomorrow, then will he not meet your needs? So I just, I, I hope that this is giving us hope from what we're seeing here, that Jesus is in control. He is the deity. He is the king. Nothing escapes his notice. Um, in fact, in Luke 12, 7, it says, Jesus said, even the hairs on your head are all numbered. That that's just astounding. You know that if he knows the number of hairs on our head, and probably some fall out every time I comb it, right? And he still knows the, the number at that point. 
that he sees everything in our lives and he cares about everything in our lives. So we just need to, we need to trust this truth and um, we need to encourage one another with these truths um, because life is hard and there are circumstances that can tend to send us into a tailspin of, of discouragement and depression. And we need, to, we need to help one another to believe that Jesus sees us in those situations and he cares for us still. Okay, finally, um, we see scripture's fulfillment. This is what I was talking about earlier, but uh, if we look at John 19, 23 and 24, it says, when the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic, but the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. And then John makes a note to say, this was to fulfill the scripture, which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So, so the soldiers did these things. So you see here perhaps John recounting uh, this uh, course of events, and you know, he remembers that uh, they divided his clothing, they cast lots for his tunic, and then Psalm 22 comes to John's mind, um, where the psalmist quoted exactly that that would happen. And um, just like Isaiah 53 was so prophetic and all of those things coming to pass, John, Psalm 22 which also was written like some 400 years before crucifixion even existed, outlines crucifixion in almost every detail. So John is showing us that the hand of God is right in the middle of this horrible circumstance going on. <clears throat> um, well, from our point of view. So then in John 19, 28 and 29, it says, after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, and I think it's interesting to see in parentheses, to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. To me, that's, that is amazing and it's comforting to see this situation because here Jesus is, he's at the very end. <clears throat> he's, he's almost accomplished everything and his life is about over. And I know it wasn't like this to him, like, oh, I remember there's one more thing I need to do. You know, he, was, he knew there was one more scripture that he needed to fulfill. And that was in Psalm 69, 21, where it prophesied that he would thirst. So he says, I thirst. And I think it's interesting to note that John puts the two together that like, this was to fulfill scripture. Um, why is this comforting? Why should this be comforting to us? Because we have a God that always fulfills his promises. He, um, he always fulfills scripture. And everything that is in the word of God, he is going to accomplish. And um, again, it's just like, you know, as I say these things this morning, I, you know, I, I, I've been there. I've been there like we all have where we just, we have trouble believing these things. But I think that this is what walking in faith looks like. It's believing that God is in control. It's believing that he sees and he cares. It's believing that he is going to fulfill scripture. He is going to be true to every promise that he made in scripture. 
So here we see Jesus, who is the fulfiller of Scripture, fulfilling Scripture. And I think sometimes, uh, you know, um, we let what we see, which is interesting because it says walk by faith, not by sight. It's almost like we, we let what we see define what we believe about the Word of God. But what God says is all of it's going to come to pass. And so when we find ourselves in those situations, instead of walking by sight, we need to walk by faith. Um, the final scripture here is John 19.30. It says, when Jesus had received the sour wine, <clears throat> he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. The Greek word for um, finished here is teleo, which in other places has been translated um, completed, finished, fulfilled, paid. All of these really are appropriate for the situation here. Um, when he says it is finished, um, you know, this is the most powerful moment on the cross, him bearing your sins and my sins. And um, in the Old Testament, those who had believed in him, you know, he, he talks about Abraham and says it was credited to him as righteousness. But at that point in time, the accounting books were not completed yet. It was just credited to him as righteousness. It wasn't until Jesus said, it is finished, that, um, that everything came to pass. Um, it means that for you and me that our sin is paid for. And um, I think that, um, again, if we walk by faith and not by sight, what this means for us is that you know, we, we find ourselves in a situation where we're, we might come on a Sunday morning, right? And we're renewed again and we have hope and, and we believe and we go out and God, say, God, I want to serve you this week. God, I love you. Um, I want to have confident access to you. Um, come boldly before your throne in prayer and I want to serve you. And, and what happens? Um, it seems like we're reminded of things <clears throat> that we've done. We're reminded of things that we're like, I have to take care of this mess. You know, I've got to work harder. I've got to be good enough for God. And this keeps us from falling short of believing God. It keeps us from praying for things we would want to pray for. You guys get that? Are you with me on that? That you're like, I want to live like this, but how can I? I, I messed up. I, I need to pay for this. I need to somehow get back on God's good side before I can pray for this thing, this great thing that I want to happen because, you know, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm a failure. I, I keep trying to get over this sin, but I keep failing. So I, I can't, I can't have access to God before his throne. I can't expect that he would hear my prayers, you know, in this situation. And, um, this reminds me of a, uh, I think I shared this story in, in one of the discussion groups the last couple of weeks, but, um, you know, there's a lot of things in my life that I, I don't remember, but there's certain things that like, when a situation happens, it's like, I remember it and I'll never forget it. And, and there was a friend of mine in Virginia, his name was Ken Gorby, and 
uh, we were all just single men at the time, and, and we had a little Bible study going on. And I remember him sharing a story once where, um, you know, he was struggling morally. Um, he was just kind of having moral failure after moral failure. And, um, you know, we were praying for one another as single men. And, um, and here, uh, a friend of his that he knew that was an unbeliever at the time called him up one night. Um, and it was right after he, you know, he, he had another moral failure. And um, the friend's like, hey, Ken, could you come over? And I, I want to talk about the Bible. And so Ken the whole time is thinking, I'm not, I'm not good enough for this. I'm not, I, God, why, why do I have to do this tonight? I mean, I am just, I'm on your bad side. You know, what, what, what good am I going to be to this guy? So he goes over there and they start talking about the Bible and uh, Ken shares the gospel with him and the guy comes to know Christ. And the reason that story stuck in my head so much is because what it's telling us is that like, you can't pay for this. You can't pay for your failures. Um, but I can, I'm going to use you. You're, you're all imperfect people, but I'm going to use you, okay? Um, or I want to use you. Um, just to remind ourselves, Romans 8.1 says, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And what happens when we fail we kind of feel condemned a little bit, you know, but there is no condemnation. There, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In fact, Jesus is, as far as, it, as far as for you and I as believers, Jesus's wrath, God's wrath was exhausted at the cross. You know, it's, there's no more wrath stored up for you or me. Um, Christ took it all. So again, if you remember at the beginning, we shared this verse from Colossians that Jesus nailed our debt. It says he's canceled the record of debt that stood against us and he nailed it to the cross. Your sin and my sin is all nailed to the cross. This is so important for us to believe. And, and I think sometimes, um, like I said, we just, we're just like, God, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough for your blessings. I'm not good enough for you to answer my prayer. Um, but what is Jesus saying? He's saying, um, you'll never be good enough. You are good enough because I was good enough. That's, that's what we need to hear this morning. We're only good enough because he was good enough in our place. And that's what it means by it is finished, it's done, it's, it's paid for. It's, there, there's nothing else that you or I could do. Um, he, he did everything already. Um, it's all been paid for. Your adoption into his family is sealed. And <clears throat> I think sometimes we can make a mistake sometimes by trying to like take God's, what he does and put it into a human perspective. You know, like how we might expect him to respond to something is how we would respond to something, but yet he blows us out of the water and responds completely differently. But in this situation, I kind of think of it like this. Um, you know, uh, a mother goes through really hard work, you know, and hard labor to birth a child. But when that child is born, any of my kids that were born into the Herman family, it's sealed. They're in the Herman family. There is no, there's nothing they can do to get out of that. 
Nothing. Even if one of my kids made some bad choice and ended up in prison, right? You know, they're, they're never going to get kicked out of my family. We, as parents, will always love them, no matter what happens. And, and I see that when Jesus says, it is finished, um, he's saying, it's done. There's nothing else you can do. You can't make yourself more a part of my family. You can't, um, you're in my family. You know, you're never going to get kicked out of my family. There's nothing that you can do to, to, um, to make that more sure. And so we can confidently come before the throne of grace and we can have a relationship with God because there's nothing left to do. Um, so we just need to be attentive to the enemy in this relationship and how he's trying to put a dividing wall between us and God in this relationship that God tore down the wall, as he shared last week. He tore down the wall so that we could have a relationship. But it's, it's the enemy that's putting those voices in our head of like, hey, you need to do something. Um, you, you messed up again. God doesn't help people who mess up. You know, you got angry in that situation. God doesn't help angry people. He only helps nice people. You know, we need to get those voices out of our head and believe the truth. Um, so the minute he said it is finished, he paid it all. Um, so if you can see one thing this from, from this passage, please just see that Jesus died for your sin. He paid it all. And we have eternal life. And none of that's going to change. Um, we just need to translate that, late that into how we live, you know, as believers, that we, we, we can walk in that freedom. We can, we're now free to experience relationship with God, just like when someone gets birthed into our family. Now we can have relationship with them. It doesn't mean that my kids are always going to do the things I want them to do, but we still have a relationship. It does not cut off the relationship. And they don't have to work their way to staying a part of my family. They don't have to work their way. They don't have to pay for things and do things to have the assurance that they're still in my family. Um, we don't have to pay for it because he paid for it. And like I said, he exhausted the wrath of God that was against us on the cross in, in, in putting it on Jesus. And when he sees us, he sees the righteousness of God in us. So, um, the word to us is don't run back to your own goodness. Don't, don't run back to um, believe that like, you know, we're, uh, we're going to rely on what we do. We're going to rely on our goodness. That's what we're going to do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave here. I'm going to praise the Lord for that he paid it all. There's nothing else to pay and yet by Tuesday, we're still thinking like, I'm going to rely on my own goodness. You know, I, I got to do something today, God, to stay on your good side. Um, the reason why is because we're always going to come up short. We're always going to come up short. So he made a way for us to where we're never going to come up short. And... Um, In him, we have everything we need. I'm looking forward to the discussion times as we just kind of like flesh this out a little bit and what it can mean for us 
and how we should live our lives differently. So let's, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, those words, it is finished, is just something that we need to tell ourselves constantly. And it might be good to tell ourselves constantly because we're just, as humans, we're just forgetful people and somehow we have this thing that we want to rely on something that we've done, um, which really is pride um, from where you're sitting. And Heavenly Father, I just pray that you would you would build our faith up through this passage. You would um, just, we would have great hope in seeing uh, who you are in this passage and what it is finished really means to us that you've paid it all. There's nothing else we can pay. So Lord, I just pray that you'd open our eyes to that um, help us to live that way, God. That is good news. That, that's the good news of the gospel. I mean, this is good news. I, I think of that one guy from work, the one time I uh, invited him to the Christmas service, and he was like, I, I can't go there. You know, I, 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 it's exactly what I'm talking about, Lord. It just, he felt like, I wouldn't be good enough to step foot in a church. And that's the point of the good news is that we're never going to be good enough. But we can rest in the fact that you were good for us. And so now when you see us, we are the righteousness of God. Heavenly Father, please work in our hearts and our lives to, to believe these truths to believe them in such a way that it affects the way we walk and it affects our relationship with you, Father. So thank you for this morning, Lord. Just pray that we'd have good discussion times and continue to just rejoice and talk about what you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.